All right. Well, good morning, guys. You, good to see you. Um, it is cold. It's not supposed to get cold like this in Georgia, so I don't know what's going on. Um, it, it, Georgia's experiencing something. It's like Christmas times two. Uh, the, the Braves win the World Series. I, the Georgia Bulldogs. That takes it. Just pains me to say it. Won won a national championship. So congratulations. We got a big Southern blizzard last week. You know, good old Georgia style, where the entire state shuts down for about a quarter of an inch of snow. Uh, but I don't know about you guys. We made the best of it. I don't know anybody, by the way, who enjoyed the snow more than Nelia did uh, and Gustav. I don't know. Like every thirty seconds, yeah, you can. Every thirty seconds, I got a text message. Somehow they erected a snowman out of it. Uh, I think it's the first time they had experienced snow because you know they're from South Africa, uh, and it was absolutely incredible. So. Um, you're, you're welcome. God heard your prayers. I think for, I, I can't tell you how many texts I got. Hey, are we having church on Sunday? Are we having church on Sunday? I was like, Neely, uh, if it snows, go have fun. Uh, and they did. Trust me, they did. They, they had so much fun. All right. Uh, I digress. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Meet me over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are going to finish up our series um, kind of on the rhythms of growth, which I say kind of because next week's going to be a bit of a standalone message on community, and we're going to help you get connected into community next week. Um, as you're turning there, let, let me say this. I, I battled pretty hard on what kind of a message to do on Love Our World today. I, I thought you could do a traditional Acts chapter 2, um, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth type of message and give you a bunch of programs and, and how-tos on how to do missions. And, and, and at the same time, I just didn't want to do that. I didn't want you to walk away with a checklist of more things to do because I hope you've noticed this over the last couple of weeks. It's not about doing. The, the Bible is not about doing. It's about becoming. It's about becoming the type of person that loves this world. So, so I, want to, I want to give you a bit of the why behind the what. Why should we love the world? Because if I just told you, here's the programs, go love our world, you might do that and you still might miss the heart behind why we do that. All right? So that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, last week, I, I know I just talked about Nelia. Let me tell you again. Last week I was in a meeting with Nelia and uh, she was telling me how South Africa has 11 official languages. I, I'm thinking in the back of my head, I barely know one. And they know 11. And then she was like, no, 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 we don't know 11. There's 11 official languages, which means I, I have no clue how many languages they have. But she told me that one of these languages is Zulu. And, and, and she was like, what's fascinating is how they greet one another. Whenever they say hi, now I'm going to really mess this up, but I'm going to try. They say Swahubana. Um, you, she can tell you how it's really pronounced later. But here's what it means. It means I see you. I, I thought that was really fascinating. Then the response that you do is, Nicolona, which means I'm here. Or literally, you might not know me, but I'm here to be seen. And I think that encapsulates loving our world so well because what, what they're basically saying is it's the same thing that all of us intrinsically want is we want to be known and we want to be seen, right? We want to be seen completely and we want to be known as we're being seen. So the last rhythm of loving our world is, is all about being known and seen. And before I put that up here again, let, let me just say this. To be known or to be loved and not known is, is simply sentimentality, isn't it? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to just be superficially loved, and to be known and not loved is just rejection. We have to have both. So here's the big idea today, if you take notes, is this. To love our world, we have to be willing to see people 
the way that God sees them and choose to love people the way that God loves us. Again, guys, if you haven't picked up on this yet, the last three weeks have been more about who we become. It's about being a certain type of person, not something that we do. That's what growth in the Christian life looks like. Growth in the Christian life is not checking a bunch of boxes saying, okay, I went to church this week and I did this and I tithe. No, it's about becoming a certain type of person that ultimately overflows into what you do. That's why if you ever listen to um, what Jesus says are about the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, they're fruit. They, they're the natural outworking of who you are. So the heart of worship, the heart of serving, and the heart of loving is the way of Jesus. It's becoming like Jesus so that you can start seeing the world like he does. So if you recall, I, I told you that our mission statement here is, is simply um, designed around helping you to become this type of person. So we want to be the type of people who worship God, serve our city, and love our world, right? And I told you last week that the, the actions here, the becoming, are in the worship, in the serving, and in the loving. Now, if you notice, love is kind of abstract. It, it's, it's a little more difficult to characterize. However, growth in the Christian life, we really do believe, happens at the intersection of the worship God, serve our city, and love our world. So everything we've done as a church has been designed around helping you grow in the Christian life by intersecting your life with the things you're already doing, not adding a bunch of different programs to it. This is why our small groups are designed the way that they are. Our small groups study God's word. That's worship God. That's theology. Our small groups, they serve together in community, and then they love our world together. And we've designed all of these rhythms to help you do that. Now today, I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because I can't think of a better text to answer the why behind the what of loving our world. So start with me in verse 16, and then we're going to work our way through the entire chapter, okay? Verse 16, listen to what Paul says. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard no one thus no longer. If, if you underline words here, this, this rationale right here that Paul starts with re-regard, no one according to the flesh. That word flesh there, Paul is about to flush out why we must look at people differently. Matter of fact, I'm not going to go verse by verse through this, but the first 15 verses of this chapter are all about why we must view people differently. Here's his reasoning. Here's his rationale, if you will because we are eternal beings. That's what he means. Uh, I'm going to show this to you in just a second, but you regard nobody just according to the flesh or the right here, right now, because you're so much more than this. Listen, you are more than just an accidental, uh, cosmetic, uh, evolutionary um, ha haphazard that happened. You're, you're more than just a bunch of atoms that collided together billions of years ago that somehow, some way, accidentally created this thing um, that grew into a species that fought with one another to the point in which your species survived on the planet. If you ever heard of string theory, because there were billions of different planets and somehow it just all worked out that this one just worked out perfectly. You are more than that. that that's what evolutionary theory claims and it's just not true. By the way, do you know how offensive it is if you really think about it? 
Could you imagine if you went up to somebody that was dying of cancer right now and you're like, hey, look, I don't want to be rude, but it's actually best for the human species that you die. Because you know what? You're the weaker vessel in evolutionary theory. Like we need the strong to survive. And if, if, if you just keep going and you procreate, and then eventually like, we're just going to have weaker and weaker species and we're all going to die out. So could you just go ahead and hurry up and die? Like functionally, that's what we're saying. And, and, and in reality, uh, that's kind of what we've done. Let me give you an example of this. I know this gets a little hard, but like we, we live in a society right now that said things like, I, I read an article about this the other day that said, you know, we've almost eradicated Down syndrome. No, we haven't. We've just aborted all the Down syndrome babies. Because what we've said is these people aren't, they're, they're not good enough, if you will, to, to make our species flourish. So it's easier just to get rid of them. You know, when I was in college, I, I had this thing that we had to do every year, a camp, a football camp um, for kids with Down syndrome. Uh, it was the most incredible thing I'd ever done because it didn't take very long for me to recognize that these kids might be more human than I am. Listen, these kids aren't broken, they're beautiful. And when we start seeing them as more than just the flesh or something going on in our society, when we see people as more eternal beings than just something that's broken right now, that's when we begin to love our world. You see, you will never, ever, ever truly love the world if you think about the world like a functional atheist does. You'll just think about yourself. Matter of fact, that's what we tend to do. I want to make the case that you'll never see the way that God sees people if you live like this. You will do the exact opposite. You will take advantage of people and you will create systems that benefit you. And in the end, you will become a self-fulfilling prophecy of the thing that you don't want to be. Here's what I mean. If you don't realize that people are more than just right here and right now, you will act on your impulses and you'll only do what benefits you, like sexuality. Think about it. Like, can we just have a real talk real quick? If you don't view people as being made in the image of God, eventually, especially guys, you'll just use them for whatever you want. You'll do whatever makes you happy. Like the song, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but man. You, whatever. Listen, I got, I got girls now. I know, I know that these sweet little babies are way more than that. And you do too. But that's how it works. When we live as if it's just right here, right now, when we live as if we are functional atheists, we take advantage of people. Living this way, I believe, is the greatest lie that the enemy has ever created in all of society. It creates a rugged individualism that never recognizes the people around us, and it eventually closes ourselves off from the world. Again, I, I just gave you a few like, easy examples, but think about you know, the people in the Middle East that we have caricatured to not like. So what we do is we close our minds to the realities of the world or, or people who are starving to death or whatever, and it's because we have created an individualism in and of ourselves. Let me show you a few of the amazing things that Paul says in the first 15 verses that should help you to see people differently. Look at verse 1. For we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Here's what he's saying. I know one day you are going to die and you're going to put off this tent, as Paul says. We are going to have a heavenly body that is perfect and it lasts for forever. By the way, that's the point. That's the point is you will always have a physical body. You are more than just a spiritual being. You will move into a, another realm in which you will occupy a physical body. Now get the picture. A tent 
A tent is temporary. A tent is unstable. But God is going to make our bodies into a building. I love what he's saying there. One day you will have a building of a body. You will have a body that will be incorruptible, that will last forever, and you will not have to worry about any diseases anymore. It will be permanent. Listen, guys, if you need hope today, this verse right here should tell you that it's not always going to be so fragile. You're not always going to have to deal with the aches and the pains of this life. Things like COVID won't exist anymore. That, that means that every single person on this planet, too, will live forever in eternity. And here's how you know that. Look at verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. You know this because God promised it. By the way, I'll show you this in a bit, but you can take it to the bank because not only did God promise it, but Jesus did something about it. Jesus paid the penalty of our pain so that we could experience his life now. And he says you will do that through the Spirit. Now, that word guarantee there, it's the word that we get this idea of an engagement ring from. Here, here's what Paul is saying. Like an engagement ring to, that you give to your spouse, it is a guarantee of something in the future to come. I'm promising you that I'm going to make good on my promise. Paul is saying that the Spirit occupying your life right now and changing you is your guarantee that one day he will bring it to fulfillment. Let, let me tell it to you like this. I could theologize you all day long. I could try to convince you all day long that the gospel is real. But one thing you can never refute is that I can tell you that I am not who I used to be. And you can go ask people. Go ask my college roommates. And what they will tell you is, I don't know what happened to him, but he is a totally different guy today. That is the Spirit of God working in me and transforming me from the inside out. And Paul is telling you, that work of God's Spirit in you is the promise ring, if you will, that one day he is going to change you for good and for all of eternity. Listen, most of us, most of us spend our lives on stuff that really ultimately doesn't matter. Like how many of you have ever been to a funeral and you looked at the hearse and you saw a U-Haul behind the hearse pulling all their stuff to them, with them? You realize you can't take your stuff to heaven, but there is something you can take with you. Do you know what you can take with you? People. People. What if, what if we stopped for just a second and we started loving the things that would last forever? Or to say it this way, what if we stopped worrying about the temporary and started leveraging our lives for the eternal? Hang with me for just a second because I want to connect the dots with you. And I want to show you that not only can you help people see eternity, but actually it brings joy. And that's where joy is found. So Paul says this in verse 17. Therefore, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. By the way, did you notice the present tense of this passage? He's not saying that if you become a Christ follower, one day you will become a new creation. He's saying right now in this very moment, you are a new creation. One of the greatest myths of our Western culture that many of us has grown up in is that you, all you need to do to become a Christian is pray a prayer, live the rest of your life miserably, die, and one day you'll go to heaven and it'll all be okay. You realize that that's not what the Bible says. When you became a Christ follower, something changed inside of you. God is making you into something new. The idea here is that you don't have to wait until you die to experience joy. That something is actually changing in you. You see, God is offering in Christ 
to fix the brokenness inside of all of us. All of us need to hear this good news. I love the way C.S. Lewis, he, he says it this way. He says, he says, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And God is going to give you a new body, but he's also going to transform your soul now. See, all of us have this God-shaped hole inside of all of our hearts that we keep trying to fill with stuff. Everybody. No matter where you are in the world, all of us are trying to fill our lives with meaning. And the more successful you are, the harder you are going to fall whenever your ladder gets to the top of your building only to find out that it was leaning up against the wrong wall the entire time. Do you know how many conversations I've had with people that tell me I wish I could go back and do this differently? I wish I'd have spent more time with my kids or told more people about Jesus because at the end of the day, all the success, it doesn't really matter. I love, uh, uh, Jim told me this um, when we were talking about him coming here to start his assisted living home. He was telling me how he was in Denmark at a at, at an award ceremony, a Lifetime Achievement Award, and, and the guy gets up on stage after he'd given his whole life to his career, and they gave him a sheet of paper. And he's like, really? That's it? You get, a, you get a little thing to hang on the wall? Life is so much more than that, isn't it? We all know that. See, every single person on the planet has this hole in their heart, this God-shaped hole that they're trying to fill with stuff, with meaning, because we're made for transcendence. It's built into us. Now get the picture. In the gospel. The offer is that Jesus wants to make you whole. That he wanted to bring you from death to a new life. Maybe not new circumstances, but a new life. Like Elizabeth Elliot, the, the wife of martyr Jim Elliot, the missionary, said, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. That's what Jesus offers you. He offers to come inside of you and to change you from the inside out to bring wholeness and completeness to your life. See, do you realize, do you realize that you have the power of the gospel and the knowing of this, that you can actually change somebody's eternity? Listen, you don't save them. Hear me whenever I say this. That's really clear. But you have the words, the message that can. The question is, first, do you believe this? Do you believe that you are a new creation, that what Jesus says is he came to give you life, or John says, in life to the fullest. Do you believe that in the Christian life is life to the fullest? That, that when we live in this intersection, we grow. Paul's saying that that's true, and that's the message that the world needs to hear. Look at verse 18. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There it is. In the simplest of terms, we are reconcilers because God has reconciled us through Christ. Let me work this out really quickly for you, okay? I, I think this is so helpful to understand. Way back in the beginning of the Bible, when sin entered the world, there was a curse. That curse was death, right? Now, here's what's crazy about, about that. Death, death was never the end. It still isn't the end. It's a pathway into something else. Before sin entered the world, God's people were supposed to live with God on earth together forever in perfect unity. But as sin entered the world, God put a divide between his kingdom in this world. 
Go read it sometimes. It literally says an angel stood with a sword to not let us enter back in. The reality is this, that Jesus came to fix the world, and he said, he said something so fascinating whenever he said it. Hang with me, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect all these dots for you. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, behold, the kingdom of heaven is here. That, that's fascinating in Matthew chapter 4 whenever he says that, because what he's telling you is it's here now. It's the present tense. This is why this is so important. Heaven isn't, and it never was, some, somewhere you're supposed to go one day. It's supposed to be here. Heaven is not supposed to be out there somewhere. It's supposed to be right here. And death, death wasn't just a physical death. It was a spiritual death that put a divide between us and God, between heaven and earth. See, here's what Paul is saying. You you start to see what he's doing. He's showing you that our main problem in this world isn't physical. It's spiritual. And Jesus came to stand in the gap so that he could reconcile you back to God and bridge the gap between heaven and earth. And don't miss what he says. If you'll put that back up, that last verse back up. All of this is from God. You circle that. You can underline that. Here's what he's telling you. The beauty of this passage is that you don't have to stand in the streets and beg people to come to God and be recon- for them to reconcile themselves to God. All you have to do is you have to tell people that God has already reconciled himself to this world. God has done everything necessary to save you. I love this quote. I heard it the other day, and it's one of my favorite quotes I think I've ever heard. Because of Jesus, put the next next slide up there. Death, death used to be an executioner, but Christ has made him just a gardener, an usher to convey our souls beyond the utmost stars and the poles. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that death is not your greatest problem. Your greatest problem is you need to be reconciled to God. And you're starting to see how powerful this is. You have the words that can tell people that they can be reconciled to God. Because all of us in this world, our greatest fear is what will happen to me when I die. You want to know the answer? In Christ, according to Paul in verse 17, is you've already died the only death that you'll ever die. And when you physically die, all you're doing is taking off that tent. And God is going to clothe you in this perfect building called a body and you will live forever and ever and ever the way that it was always supposed to be because Jesus stood in the gap for you. Jesus came to fix the thing that was really broken, our relationship with God. Now, here's the point. You ready for this? Here's the love our world part. The world needs to know this. People need to know this. People need to know that Jesus came to fix our greatest problem, our separation between heaven and earth, between God and us. This is why we prioritize missions at City Church. From the very beginning, we didn't wait until we had it all together to start going on mission trips. We started going immediately because, honestly, we didn't want to build a church that was just about a gathering. If you've been around here long enough, you know that gathering people is hard enough anyway. Every every circumstance that could be thrown at us the last couple years have been, but we're still multiplying in amazing ways. Matter of fact, this week, I'm going to go down to the Dominican Republic to go watch our church that we're helping plant launch a new church because of your generosity and because of you going on these trips, we've been able to come alongside another church planner. We've done that in London. We've done that in, the, in South Asia. We've done that now in Southeast Asia. Now you, in the Middle East, all these different places, and it's because we believe that people need to hear this message. So we go on short-term trips. And it's not because they're vacations. It's because we believe that short-term trips create long-term disciples. It's because we believe that coming alongside of our long-term workers and encouraging them to take the gospel forward 
is one of the greatest ways that we can advance the gospel is to tell people the world, the world just needs to know. We need to expose ourselves to the humanity of this world. Can I just tell you, I, I've had the privilege of probably going over 30 different countries, and here's my one takeaway. People are just people. There's no boogeyman out there. People are just people. People get up, they go to work, they just want to fulfill their lives, and they want to care for their family. They, they want to know that their life has meaning. Everybody wants to be known. Guys, what if God has strategically placed us in this amazing country with the resources that we have because he wants us to leverage our lives for the sake of building his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? What if the whole model of just pray a prayer and do your thing and one day you'll go to heaven was wrong? What if the model was pray your prayer, come to Christ, let him transform you to become the architects of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Here's the point. If God's kingdom is breaking into this broken world, then we are supposed to be the architects that build his kingdom now. You ever thought of yourself this way? Have you ever thought that God's game plan for changing the world is you? That God could have done it any other way and yet he chose you? It's not an accident that you live in Alpharetta, Georgia and have the resources that you have and the giftings that you have. You are the most strategic person to reach this city and to reach this world. And here's why. Because you were always meant, listen to me, you were always meant to be a co-creator with Christ. Let me, you see how the whole Bible works together? Way back in Genesis chapter 2, when God created Adam and Eve, do you know what he did? He put them in a garden with the raw materials of the earth, and he says, go create it. Go create it. Give them the animals. He says, you name them and have dominion over them. See, in God's kingdom, we are builders. We're creators because we reflect God's image. Guys, I don't know about you, but this gets me excited. This gives my life meaning. It means my life has purpose. By the way, your jobs matter. Like, listen to me. If you're a stay-at-home mom, do you realize that God is using you to architect some children, to just be good human beings? You're building a family. If you're a lawyer, maybe God is using you to build justice in this world. Right? If you are a salesperson, maybe you're here to build culture in our city. I look around this room and I see the people and what you're doing. You, you, you take care of animals. Who, who You're blessing God's creation. You're not just a veterinarian. You're, you're literally taking God's raw materials of this world and you're creating human flourishing by taking care of the raw materials around you. You get the point? You're supposed to be building something here. That's what God is doing. He's strategically using you to architect his kingdom. Every single person in this room interacts with somebody on a daily basis. What if instead of seeing your jobs as a means to an end, you saw your job as an end in and of itself? What if God is building in you the skills to change the world? Like, did you know that you have to know this? You are the richest and most educated people in human history. What if your skills were given to you so that you could go to different places in the world and just advance business? That's human flourishing. You realize, like, as a pastor, there are so many countries that I can't physically go to. But you, you could. You could go there, you could do business, you could interact with people, and you could do amazing things. Listen, I believe that regular people, if you will, equipped with the gospel, are the next wave of missionaries in this world. I believe that's the way it was always supposed to be. You are the missionaries. Not, you don't pay me to be the missionary. 
Ephesians 4 actually says, when I came to be a pastor, I kind of left the ministry. My job was to equip you to do the ministry. I, I love this. If you actually go study the book of Acts, the book of Acts tells you that Paul showed up in all these cities, and they met the brothers who had planted churches there. You know who those brothers were? They were the people in Acts chapter 2 who came for Pentecost, heard the gospel, regular business people that just went back to their cities and started telling people about the gospel. They weren't pastors. They weren't vocational missionaries. They were just dudes and ladies that heard the gospel and they went home. God's mission or his game plan has always been you. Your, ma- your life matters. It matters tremendously. Listen to what Paul says in verse 20. Here's his therefore statement. Therefore. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You know what an ambassador is? Well, I checked the interwebs, the old Googles. Here's what it said. Here's the definition of an ambassador. An ambassador is a diplomat that is sent to a foreign country to speak on behalf of the country that they represent. The picture that Paul is painting is that you and I have a message from our king the Lord of the universe, and when we speak, we don't say what we want, we speak his words. Now watch what Paul says, I implore you, I beg you, I'm begging you on behalf of Christ. He's speaking for his king. Be reconciled to God. Again, you see the passivity in that language. You don't reconcile people, God does. God brings the reconciliation. Here's what Paul is saying. God has already done everything necessary to save you. The king is offering you a gift that's far too great. He's offering you the chance to receive the reconciliation from him. God came to bring peace between us and God. He came to fix the brokenness of the world. And it starts with fixing people's broken hearts. Friends, God wants to make you whole again. He wants you to receive the gift that he's already purchased for you. And for every single Christ follower in this room, that comes with the job description. You get the point? The world is not, at least the way it is right now, is not your home. You see, this, this is why God didn't just tractor beam you up to heaven the moment you became a Christian. Because God wants to use you to be an ambassador to speak his message on behalf of him. Like, it's God's kindness, by the way, that delayed his coming back. Do you know how often I hear people say to me, I can't wait for Jesus to come back? I, I get that. I really do. But listen, I want you to hear me really carefully. If Jesus came back right now, that'd be really good news for you. And it'd be really bad news for the billions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus in their life. What if instead of talking about, I can't wait for Jesus to come back, what if we change our language and we said, I can't wait to bring people to Jesus? I wonder how many people need to hear this message. I wonder if I could spend the rest of my life just telling people about you, Jesus. Guys, let me just say this clearly. The gospel is the best news ever. But if people don't hear it, if people don't hear it, then they're never going to hear the good news. Then it's not good news for them. This is why missions is so urgent. You have a message of the king. He's given you a message to go and tell the world. I believe that so many of us, in so many of the things that we do with our lives, we do good things at the expense of the best things. And I'm not talking about becoming a vocational missionary. Here's what I want you to hear me say. You already are a vocational missionary. You need to change your thought process. We already are vocational missionaries. And your mission field is exactly where God has put you. 
What if we just started leveraging our lives by doing the things we already do and do it with gospel intentionality? Again, I know that this is so counter what anybody ever talks about. We talk about funding missions and, and going on trips, and we talk about sending vocational missionaries at the expense of the fact that that's what God has already done with all of us. You, you realize that when you go home to your neighborhood, you are a free missionary, that God has already equipped with his message. And when you interact with people and you do it with intentionality, you begin to architect his kingdom. Now, Paul's going to tell you the problem. We do. We have a major problem, and it's verse 15. Listen to what he says. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You hear the problem? The problem is our selfishness. Jesus died so that we would stop living for ourselves. According to the Bible, the greatest motivation for selfless living is a sacrificial king. This is what Paul says in verse 14. Right before this, look what he says. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. You see that the motivation for loving this world is to be captivated by the love of Christ. Paul never seemed to get over his salvation experience. And because he never got over it, he couldn't help but tell everybody around him about Jesus. This is what the gospel does. Because you recognize that Jesus died for you, you stop living for yourself. I mean, how can you? I'm convinced that those people who understand the gospel the most are those people who stop living for themselves and start living for God. When Jesus died, he came to make us selfless. And he gave us a job description. I love this. Our job is to represent the king of the universe in this world. I can't think of a better way to love our world than to represent our king. That means, that means we have to tell people about our king. By the way, that, that's the message that the king wants you to tell us the gospel. He wants every single person on this planet to know that Jesus has already rescued and reconciled them to himself. He wants them to, to fill this longing that's inside of every human heart. But it doesn't just mean that you tell people about Jesus. It means that it actually transforms the way that you live too. See, the world needs to know that, that we're architecting a new kingdom because God has created us differently. Like living with integrity communicates the message of our king. You realize that when you go to your work and you actually work with integrity, you begin to turn eyeballs so people begin to ask questions like, why are you different? Listen, having faithful marriage, having faithful marriage communicates a message of our king. When we live in a society that says that 60 to 70% of people end up getting divorced, do you realize the message that you create whenever you say, you know what, love is more than attraction? Love is that I'm committed to this person just like Jesus was committed to me. Raising good human beings communicates the message of our king. Caring about justice communicates the message of our king. I know it's countercultural, trust me. I've been beaten with a stick for caring about justice in this world. You know what? It's powerful because you don't belong to the systems of this world. Like, we don't worship a donkey or an elephant, we worship the lamb that was slain. And when we recognize that, it changes everything. We travel on another passport. According to the Bible, this world isn't your home, at least not the way it currently is. Matter of fact, the language that's used is this. Literally, you are an immigrant or a resident alien. That's how you're supposed to live here. You're supposed to live as if you belong to another world and you are visiting this world to tell them about your king. But that's, that's, not, 
that's not all that there is. The key point is this, is God isn't abandoning this world. He's reconciling this world through us. See how that makes all the difference? Christ's followers have made the mistake of rejecting this world for far too long and living in our own little bubbles. What if we aren't supposed to reject this world, but we're supposed to redeem it? What if that's the point? What if church is not supposed to be a signpost to the kingdom to come? Are you getting it yet? Loving our world is about going into the world and living as if we belong to another king. Now let me show you one of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture. Matter of fact, I think it's one that you ought to memorize because it's one that tells you exactly who our king is. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, listen to what it says. For our sake, he, that he is God the Father, made him, that's Jesus. So for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, this, this, this one verse is exactly why it's worth telling people about Jesus. I mean, I go so far as to say that you really can't love people if you're not willing to tell them the most important news in the entire world. Here's the key. You don't have to be a jerk about it. I think that the reason why most people are turned off by Jesus is not because of Jesus. Gandhi said it. I love your Christ, I just don't love your Christians. It's because of the pious posture that we tend to have. You know, when I tell people about Jesus, I, I, I literally will tell them, I need to tell you the most important thing about me because it's changed who I am. And, and then I'll say something like, Guys, I know that you might feel a certain way about Jesus, but think about it. If I really believe that Jesus is who he said that he is, if I really believe that the gospel is real, then I believe that every single person on this planet that doesn't know him is going to a Christless eternity. And what kind of a friend would I be if I really believe that and I believe that you don't know Jesus and I didn't tell you about him? You know, that's pretty well received if you do it in a posture of humility. Listen to it again, for our sake, for our sake. That's why I love this verse. God didn't send Jesus into the world for his sake. He did it for our sake. Think about John 3, 16, right? Most famous verse in the Bible. Think about it. God so loved the world. Now remember that world, world is cosmos. Not, it, it means the people in the world, not the systems of the world. That What did he do? He gave his only son for our sake. He gave. For our sake, Jesus became our sin. That's what that means. It, it means that Jesus took all of our filth and all of our sin upon himself. And don't miss the fact that he says that Jesus knew no sin. It means he was absolutely perfect. Matter of fact, he was the only perfect, righteous person deserving of God's glory and grace to ever walk this earth. The reason that Jesus could stand in the gap is because he didn't deserve what was coming to him. Your reconciliation with God was made possible because Jesus knew no sin, but chose to take your sin in your place. Did you know that when God sees you, even in your darkest hour, he doesn't see your filth and shame? It's almost as if God sees you as perfect and righteous. It's the most scandalous truth imaginable. But the truth is that Jesus stood in your place, and when God sees you, he sees Christ in you, if you are in Christ. Like one day you are going to stand before the Savior of the world, and when you're standing in front of that judgment, Jesus is going to look right at God and he's going to say, not that one. That one's mine. Not that one. I died for that one. And when you see him, you have to see me in him. See, because, because I became his sin. And because I became his sin, I get, or he gets my righteousness. 
Martin Luther called this the great exchange, or Jesus in my place, if you will. Let that sink in for a second. For our sake, Jesus took all of our sin on himself. Isaiah 53 says he was beaten so badly because of our sins and our iniquities. He was beaten so badly you couldn't even recognize his face. Listen, Jesus got all of your sin so that you could have all of his righteousness. You know that void you feel in your heart? That longing to be loved, to be known? Do you see this verse? There's nowhere else on the planet that expresses God's love for you and his knowing of you more than the cross of Christ, right? To be loved and not known is sentimentality. Well, God knows you and he still loves you. To be known and rejected, or to be known and not loved is to be rejected. Well, God knows you and he didn't reject you. It is what fills the heart. It is what changes the soul. When you and I live like this, understanding this, when you, when you and I live with the future in mind, it changes the way that we live in the present. That's the entire point of this chapter. When you live like a functional atheist in this world and you don't see the people around you, well, you live selfishly. But when you live like our king, an ambassador of our king, it changes everything. That's why, that's why whenever you chase after the things of this world, it never fulfills you. If you chase after pleasure, you're going to recognize that it's always temporary. If you chase after success, you're going to realize that there are going to be more people successful than you. If you chase after beauty, just hang out. Time's going to catch up. Here's the crazy thing, though. According to this, just you don't even need to chase after God because he chased after you. You just need to receive what God has already given to you. That's the point. And that's so powerful that it can change everything about you. When you choose to live this way or in light of this, it changes the world around you. I, I think about, I have a friend of mine just this week. He called me and he said he was in the car driving and uh, with another guy. And, and, he, and the guy got a phone call and it was on speakerphone. And, and he overheard this guy just absolutely trashing him. Like gossiping about him so bad that it was awful. And he called me. He was frustrated. He's like, I don't know what to do. And like, well, you can respond or you can give him grace and choose not to count that offense against him. In the end, he chose not to count that offense against him. And do you know what happened? The other guy in the car was like, what are you doing? Like, why don't you stick it to this guy? He deserved that. It opened up the opportunity to tell him about Jesus. It's the reason why guys like Martin Luther King Jr. are so powerful, isn't it? Because they're so countercultural because they live for another kingdom. And as they do, they literally can change the world around them. That's how it works. Let, let me finish up like this. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. By the way, um, if you look at your Bible, that chapter break's not great. So verses 1 and 2 should be with chapter 5. And here's what it says. Working together with him. That, just circle that. Underline that. Working together with God, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Are you amazed yet? On the one hand, God's the peacemaker. And on the other hand, he says, you're working with me to architect this thing. The commentator Phil Yancey said this, I shudder at the sheer audacity that God would entrust such a task to us. The amount of unbelievable trust that God has in us to exercise building this kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is absolutely amazing. You see, before sin entered the world, you and I were supposed to build something. We had a job description. And after Jesus came back, the same formula was here. Don't miss it. God has given his people dominion over the world to recreate the world and to build this beautiful thing called the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. The world needs to see this. 
God's kingdom coming down. The world needs to see that everything has changed in Christ. So here's how you love your world. Real practical. Do your job. Do it well. And do it with intentionality. Like, it really is that simple. It doesn't matter if you're a janitor or a CEO. You are building something in God's kingdom. You represent God. You have a purpose. And the world needs to see it. We need to start living out our purpose in every sphere of life. And then Paul ends by saying this, for he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I heard you. By the way, that's a quote on the next verse. That's a quote from the book of Isaiah. But listen to what Paul says. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What he's saying is the promise that God said back in the book of Isaiah, that he is going to come and fix the world and he's going to bring salvation to the nation of Israel, that time is now. Because of Christ, God's bringing his kingdom down. See, you and I get to make the church beautiful. We get to live differently. We get to start bringing God's kingdom down. And the message that people need to hear is this. For our sake, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The whole Christian life can be summed up like this. God became so that we could become. Think about that. God became our sin so that we could become his righteousness. So what I want you to do real practically is this. Number one, I want you to see your entire life as mission. Everything that you do, you are a missionary. You intersect your life with the things you're already doing. Don't add programs to it. Don't add programs to it. The way my old church used to say it is this. Do what you do well and do it to the glory of God. See, the gospel needs to be the language we speak. It needs to be fluent in every area of our life, not compartmentalized. Because here's the deal. You have to stop viewing missions as a program and more as who you are. And then, simply, tell people about Jesus. If Jesus really is who he said that he is, then the world needs to hear it. And that's going to take, number three, just be selfless. There's nothing more powerful than a people who serve the world because we live for a better people. What if missions is not about a bunch of programs, but it's about becoming a certain type of person? What if it's seeing yourself as the missionary? And that's why we do what we do. That's why we go on trips. That's why we show up here on Sundays. That's why we're engaged in our church. It's not because we want programs. It's because we want people to experience Jesus. That's what it looks like. That's rhythms of growth. It's worshiping God, right? God's changing you into a certain type of person. It's in serving the people around you. And it's loving, loving the world that God has put in you.